0: Hello, I'm your host, Aaron Ripmaster. This is Dids Dads Podcast number 600 for Sunday, August 25th, 2019. Tonight, I'm joined in the man cave by Eric Anderson. Hey, folks. James Cameron. Hey, everyone. And Don Donfris.
1: How's everybody doing tonight?
0: this being our episode 600, we thought it was kind of a momentous uh, episode and thought it might be a good time for us to do sort of a big picture look back. Um, since since our relaunch, we have been doing a lot of, um, you know, shorter term looking back, you know, what happened while we were gone kind of things. I think we've got that caught up a bit, but it's been now since, you know, February 2011. So we've got a good... Uh, Eight almost nine years of, of information here, and really vacationing at Walt Disney World has changed quite a bit. And so we're gonna dive into that topic here in just a minute. But before we get too far into the discussion, I do need to thank our podcast sponsor, Mousemaster Travel. Mouse Master Travel is an authorized Disney vacation planner, and Mouse Master agents would love to take care of the stressful parts of vacation planning so that you can focus on the fun. You can check them out at Mousemaster Travel com. Don's already on this week's panel, and we're taking a look back at the history of uh, DizDad's podcast anyway, so we'll skip this week in Disney history this week. All right, so eight years later, almost nine years later, Walt Disney World and planning a vacation, you know, at Walt Disney World and the experience of the parks really is very different uh, than it was when we first started, and I think that that really um, you know the place where that becomes immediately noticeable is right up front with booking a vacation, right? Because back in 2011, a lot of times we were talking about booking your vacation, and yeah, we had that 180 day advanced uh, window to to book dining. But I don't know that that a that percentage of people booked that early, Uh at least not as compared to now. And we had, I felt like, a lot of people who talked about booking their trips maybe, you know, 90 days or so out. I don't know. What do you guys think? Is that, that an accurate take?
1: <laughs> I, I would say yes. Um, You know, things have changed so much. You, you We got to... it it takes a lot more planning.
0: (laughs) Right. I mean, I think there's definitely a sense that overall it it takes more planning. I I don't know for sure that it takes more, but it certainly takes different planning. Uh, I I mean, Eric has, has the change, uh, in the last eight years, have you changed the way that, that you approach planning your vacations?
2: I, you know, most of my vacations have been, uh, plan pretty well in advance, uh, anyway, cause I just, uh, book stuff up early. I have had a, a few there that, that were more last minute, but, uh, I think in general, the, I mean, the one thing that seems to have changed a little bit is the fast pass system and having to book those, uh, and it's sort of related to, you know, having your tickets already in hand or at least, uh, having purchased them for whatever your vacation is starting. And uh, with the fast fast plus uh, scheduling, I think is uh, becoming a little uh, more focused on the parks themselves. So you've gotta you gotta or at least in the past you have had to you know pick the park you're gonna be in on a certain day just so you can book those Three fast passes, otherwise you're stuck.
0: So, yeah. So, once upon a time, you know, a lot of times which park you were going to be in on which day tended maybe to be driven by dining reservations, right? What was available and that was the longest deadline out, so it was the first decision you made. But now, because your fast passes also are tied to that decision about what park you're going to enter first for most people you know maybe it's changed the way we choose which park we're going to hit which day kind of thing that that's a, certainly a different impact and and i think you make a good point that this idea that we're booking our our fast passes in advance has really changed the touring approach too um i don't know i mean james i seem to recall that, that you you know had some experience playing the old school fast pass runner like i did
3: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, we used to (laughs) we used to game the system with you know like with heading straight to the fast pass kiosk and getting your fast passes. You know, we we sometimes we'd you know just store them up for the day and use them all later in the day. And um, that's all changed. Um, We have to say like our you know we used to always plan a year in advance um, for our trip and then the dining we would make a couple of reservations usually I think when the kids came along we started making more table services especially with the character dining options and we I think now with the fast passes, it hasn't changed too much. I think we still are dining driven more often than not. Um, I don't think I've ever I don't think I've made a, a, like a change in our itinerary based on what fast passes were available. I just feel like we're more committed now once we make those fast passes. So our dining drives everything and we pick our, you know, we get our, you know, how many park days we're going to have and, and we're kind of set with that structure. And then when, once we make the fast passes, I think we're, it's like, we're committed. It's right. like, that's our right. plan. Cause that's the fast passes we have and we're going to go with it.
0: Well, and I mean, I, I, I will say that, that for my you know trip that I've got coming up, right. I, we had um, as we Planned our trip. We were trying to decide which day to be which park and we kept kind of going back and forth a little bit. And one of the things that drove us to kind of change our usual, you know, we, our very first trip, our first park that we visited was, was Animal Kingdom. And so out of tradition's sake, we often would visit Animal Kingdom first. Um, we liked the park a lot and, you know, we would visit it first, but because of the new fast pass system and the way that the flight of passage fast passes get you know, snapped up so quickly, we made a conscious choice to make Animal Kingdom the last park we visited so that we had the best chance of pulling that fast pass. So we rearranged a little bit, not based on the usual things we would have looked at 10 years ago. I mean, you know, we would have been looking at more closely at the predicted crowd levels and things like that. We still paid some attention to that, but we also felt like we needed to make that park day in the latter part of our vacation so that we had the best chance of getting the fast pass for an attraction that was important to us. That makes sense. Um you know and that that is sort of a, a fundamental difference in in the way that we put our trips together. Um anybody else think of of examples where sort of the way that you your trip comes together the way you plan for your trip has has changed in the last 9 years? Um
1: yeah, I would say just more like, like what you just said. I, I what we did, we kind of just made a list of all the stuff that we wanted to do, and then kind of see how it all lays out as we start trying to make reservations for this or that, and just coordinated it that way. Right. Um, you know, we didn't go into it with a plan of, you know, because like you guys like you you guys went to Animal Kingdom. Our traditional first day was always kind of Epcot. Um and you know, we always planned it that way, but now it's more okay, we make a list of the everybody picks something they want to do. And then we just try to make make it all work that way. You know, right. based on what's available.
0: Right. Um and, you know, there has been, I think, also a pretty significant shift. Well, l- l- before we get away from it, I-, I do think we need to talk a little bit more about tickets because it's not just the advanced fast pass window that's changed with tickets. I think we've had really sort of two fairly significant changes in, um, structurally, right? The way tickets work. I mean, when we started recording nine years ago, first of all, you had the option of buying, you know, if you knew you were going to take more multiple trips within a fairly short window of time, you know, you had the option of of buying a, um, a, a no expiration ticket, right? You could do ten days with no expiration, which essentially made your right. your second trip much less expensive. No expiration tickets don't exist anymore. Um, there was a different uh, uh, well, the the pricing for tickets. You know, we could complain about price increases and all that, but but. but Um, you know, once the price was announced, you knew what the price was and you could kind of bank ahead, right? You could, you could buy the tickets when you had the money now, knowing that you might not use them for a couple of years, but that was fine because, you know, the, the tickets always worked. Um, Now, well, the, the non, the no expiration ticket is gone and we actually have date-based pricing. So you can't really, you know, plan or, uh, you know, buy ahead like that anymore. I mean, the, the, you're still going to keep the value of the ticket you bought, even if you don't use it within the time it's it's um, good for, but you don't get to leverage it the way you used to and basically, you know, buy yourself a discount, right? By, by using tickets that were purchased before a price increase.
1: Right. Yeah, they've made things... Well, you know, I think a lot of that was done... Because too many people were abusing it. uh,
0: Well, I mean, that's a piece of it. But, but, you know, we talked about the possibility of there being some sort of dynamic ticket pricing for at least a couple of years before it really happened. So we kind of all knew it was coming.
1: Yeah. (laughs) This is true.
0: I mean, I don't know, James or Eric, either of you ever take advantage of that? you know no expiration ticket benefit mm-hmm.
3: yeah we definitely did it was it was definitely something that we always um, took into consideration you know especially you know taking multiple trips in a year or taking um, less than 365 days there was always that debate like okay what's what's more cost efficient should like you know should we splurge on an annual pass right, or right. can we get can we get by with the 10 days cuz if we went you know would would that be enough uh, to cover us and and there, there was definitely some times that that it did work out for us or like you know if we just had you know you know bought like a 5 or a 6-day ticket but we didn't use that last day and we would you know if we had the no expiration option that just we just saved it
0: right yeah because now you could you could hit the parks for one day on your way to a cruise or something right you could you have yeah. an extra bonus day
3: Exactly. Cause you never, you know, like, Hey, like, you know, and never know when we're going to use this, you know? So, you know, we'd always come back, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. So you could just kind of put in your back pocket and you had a day at the parks next time you were in the area. Um, yeah. Can't do that anymore.
0: Right. Right. Um, and, and so that has been pretty, you know, introduced some fairly fundamental changes in the way that we plan even out in advance. Um, so maybe it's time now to circle back to that dining issue. And and Eric, maybe you can talk a little bit about first, just sort of how the dining landscape at Walt Disney world has changed over the last nine years.
2: Well, back when we started this, even be our guests didn't exist. Right. So that was um, uh, certainly a a really deeply themed uh, restaurant for magic kingdom that uh, really, I think, changed uh, the way people approached uh, dining in magic kingdom it was enough of a hit or enough of a a draw i guess that uh, people were dramatically shifting their plans to get in there and even the lunches which is a quick service meal uh, were uh, very very popular Um, and you know along with that there's also uh, Skipper's Canteen opened. I think that had less of an impact on what people did in Magic Kingdom, but uh, it still expanded the dining options. That and another with another sit-down restaurant yeah, I mean, in I Magic think, Kingdom.
0: I think big picture wise, you know, overall, you know, those are those are sort of be our guest, especially sort of a signature addition to to Magic Kingdom. But I think that it's true that that overall, we've seen, for the most part, a net sort of improvement. Overall, in in the level of dining experiences available, really all over the place at Walt Disney World.
2: Yeah, especially at Disney Springs, you've got like uh, like known chefs like right. Jose Andres just opened a restaurant there. Got um, uh, this Art Smith's Homecoming. Uh, you've got Morimoto Asia over there. So many restaurants in Disney Springs now that uh, have really. Uh, Expanded what you can do, even if you're not in a park for a day, right? Yeah, this yeah, is, and I believe a, it's
0: I believe it's six James Beard award winning chefs with restaurants in Disney Springs right now.
2: Yeah, it's it's an incredible uh, uh, range of, of options that you have over there. So uh, it, you're not uh, just going over there and having uh, Earl's sandwich, which is definitely good, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you've got you've got a lot more to choose from.
0: I mean, James, you were saying something in the chat about you know Disney sort of recognizing the what what dining pardon the pun brings to the table,
3: yeah, i think I think for the longest time it was um it was an afterthought. It was like you had to you know you wanted to keep people in the park, you didn't want them to leave to get something to eat, so let's provide them with some food, and it was just let's give them the basic you know necessities and need just to keep themselves energized and going on rides and spending money and and all that but i think there was definitely been a shift especially not just in disney springs but in the theme parks themselves and maybe it maybe it started with food and wine maybe it, you know like with you know when when they brought you know there was an emphasis put on food and i think you know people will go to the to the theme parks just to eat
0: Right, and, and, and I think
3: there's like that emphasis. That emphasis became a draw, and I think that's it. that kind of helped start like spur this, you know, increased um, quality in in your dining options.
0: Yeah, and I think you make a good point that. Um, You know, Food and Wine Festival was a driver of that. I I don't know that we realized, I mean, nine years ago, Food and Wine Festival existed. There were people who planned trips so that they could experience it. We talked about it a lot, but it's really become a phenomenon. And so much so that between uh, the the Food and Wine Festival and Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, you know, When we took our first Disney vacation, we we planned it for the first week in October because that was one of the slowest weeks of the year on the crowd calendar. That's just not the case anymore. In the last two years, when Disney has released fall discounts, they've basically blocked out the month of October because they don't have to discount to fill the hotels.
2: That's going to be an e- even bigger thing this year, I think, with uh, the Star Wars stuff opening.
0: Right. Well, and th- they've played it up, right? They, they've got the, the Star Wars piece, um, you know, they're opening that at the end of August. And then remember that in Epcot, you know, they're going to close Illuminations and open um, Epcot forever. Basically right at that at that turning point, right? September, beginning of October.
1: Yeah, that's... There's, there's no more slow times. Maybe September.
0: Well, and, and there's the other piece. I mean, overall, what Disney has done over the last nine years is, in a lot of ways, manipulated everything they can to, you know, to the extent possible, eliminate slow times. I mean, it's much harder to find a full week of slow time at Walt Disney World anymore.
1: Yeah, I can, yeah, remember, I can remember, remember back when, say, ab- when we were going. going. That uh, you'd go second week of December and it was a walk on everything, you know. <laughs> now, now you can't even dream of those days.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are still a few troughs, so to speak, but they're, they're by and large they're short time periods between you know spikes because Disney does everything they can to pump up crowds during those times that have traditionally been slow and they've pretty much taken October out of the slow mix. You still have some spots in September that are slow. you still have some spots in January that are slow but you know February I mean there are times in February where you get stretches around President's week you know President's Day, especially if President's Day um, um, happens to to intersect with Mardi Gras and you get part crowd levels that rival Christmas week.
1: It's kind of crazy, how <laughs>
0: <laughs> and for extended periods of time. I mean, for you know, four or five days in a row. Yeah,
3: and then on the back end of Presidents' Week, you get the run Disney Princess Weekend, so right, right. that just adds to it.
0: Exactly. And I mean, once upon a time, those those running events were added in to again, try to pump crowd levels back up, right? I mean, that's that's the whole reason that Run Disney exists is because they were trying to find ways to bring people to the parks during slow periods of time. Um, And, you know, Run Disney is another of the things that over the last nine years has really transformed. I mean, nine years ago, you had Marathon Weekend, and that was really pretty much it. Um and now there are what, Eric, how many how many races get run at Walt Disney World a year? And this is after most recently cutting back a little bit.
2: Yes, yeah, so you got uh, uh, Marathon Four week right now. now. So Marathon it is it, what used to be Marathon Weekend is now marathon week basically because it starts on Thursday, goes through Sunday. Uh you've got uh Princess. Weekend that uh, we just talked about, uh, you've got food and wine festival, uh, or sorry, the wine and dine race, uh, during the food and wine festival, uh, and Star Wars. Oh yeah. Star Wars. Uh, also, yeah. And April. Right. So, so those, and, and princess, what, right? I, what, and princess. Yeah. Um, what I've noticed, though, is that there was a, a sharp increase in I think people running these races, and that's kind of uh, during like over the past nine years or so. But right, right, there, there, it, it reached I think an apex, and now it's sliding down a bit. Um, you're not seeing races sell out as fast. You're not seeing uh, uh, the kind of you know demand for all the races, like you'll see, like the challenges will sell out sometimes, but, uh, there've been cases here in the last few years where the, even the challenges weren't selling out. So,
0: so let me uh, ask you this, do you think that that is because of saturation of too many events or did the price finally sort of hit equilibrium, right? It, It got high enough that people were choosing, you know, one or two instead of running everything.
2: I think it is probably the price. I mean, because we do have, like you said, uh, a lessening of supply and plus all the West coast races are gone now. So if you're going to run a Disney race, you're doing it in Florida now. Um, but the, like the price just got to the point where people are just finding other things to do with their money.
0: So let me I ask mean, you it, this as a committed runner though, is that a good thing? Right. I mean, is it, has that price increase helped make the race weekends a better experience because they're not so overburdened?
2: I haven't really noticed that big a change. Like it, like at the high point of the races, I think it was about the same as it was now. I didn't feel like they ever got overburdened. I think maybe, uh, the parks may have been more crowded, a few years ago with, uh, not the runners necessarily, but the folks that they brought with them. Um, and so that would just drive up crowd levels overall, but, uh, I haven't really noticed that big a change, honestly.
0: Okay. Well, James, in, in what, the, what do you think about, you know, you, you are an occasional participant in, in run Disney races. What, what do you think here?
3: Yeah, I think I mean I was inspired, by, you know, back in uh, 2014 when we had some dads go and uh, and run and and I was like, you know, that looked like a lot of fun. So that that got me involved, and my and my wife and kids have pr- participated. And I think and I think we were kind of swept up in in this running craze that I think the the entire nation was kind of swept up, because we saw not just at Disney but we saw like you know 5k's being run in our town and color runs were all the rage and you had Spartan races and zombie races and and like and i think as a whole those have kind of just you know had become less popular i think people have had their fill you know i think you have the you know the people who who actually like running are still running um and you got the people who were just kind of caught up in the fad have have dropped off. And that's why I see, I think there's less demand for it now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I haven't looked into those numbers, but it's an interesting thought that, that it's just part of an overall cycle of, you know, running, becoming somewhat less popular or perhaps being, you know, pushed out of the limelight, so to speak, by other exercise crazes, right? I mean, other things, you know, getting people's attention, um, all right. Well, so we've talked a little bit about uh, dining, a little bit about run Disney. Um, one thing that that people on our page were talking about is the changes in the sort of value-added events, right? I mean, we did a, a show on this a little over a year ago where we were talking about um, the value of various, you know, value-added events. And once upon a time, you had, um, Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party. I mean, when we first started, it was Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party. It was, um, uh, the Merry, Very Christmas Party. And then they had just sort of stopped doing the Pirates and Princess Party, right? That one was the one they experimented with in the spring. It didn't really catch on. So, um, and those were just about the only special events after hours. Now we have a whole plethora of, these events. And I'm curious. I mean, Don, what do you think about the proliferation of these extra cost outside of normal park hours events?
1: Well, there's two things. I mean, one, they're kind of expensive, but to some people it's a great value because if you take a day off your Uh, one of your passes and you just buy that ticket at night, you get in the park earlier and stay late. So I think, think, again, it's been um, kind of developed as a a way to crowd control things a little bit. And it all depends on how you like to do the parks. I mean, if you are a night owl, it's a good way to do it. You know, uh, remember
0: that when we're talking after hours events, we're also talking about the early morning magic stuff that you can do in really all the parks now, right? They, they run these, these, you know, pay for access before park opening, um, opportunities. I don't know. I mean, Eric, what's your take? It's, uh, I mean,
2: it feels like a money grab, but, uh i will hand them money <laughs> 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 they don't even have to grab it so uh so yeah i mean it, it does present a, a great opportunity especially with um the newer stuff opening up so uh even without a uh, if you've already you know booked your fast pass but for whatever reason there are enough rides in the park that you don't have uh, the ability to get something without a you know, without standing in line for three hours, uh, getting in early is uh, certainly worth the the money if it saves you that much time uh, and gets you that experience of riding one of these newer rides, like, uh, you know, what, you know, flights of passage or you know, slinky dog or, uh, whatever the new hotness is.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, James, I know that you've attended some of these. What What do you think?
3: I, I mean, I think it makes a lot of business sense for Disney to do it this way. I I think it's also um, a good middle ground, like, whereas they could, you know, everybody's always been afraid that they're, you know, Disney would someday take Fast Pass and make it pay to play. And say, like, you know, if you want to get a Fast Pass and get on a, and get on an attraction before, you know, quick, with a shorter wait than somebody else, you're going to have to pay money. And, like, there was always a debate on how they were going to work it out. But we always, you know, a lot of people just think it's, you know, eventually. And they probably still think it's eventually coming down the line. But I think this is a good middle ground where they say, you know, um, we're not going to take away from other people's experience. We're going to open the, you know, we have the park or at least part of the park operating early or late. And to do that, you have to have the staff. And, you know, the, it, that costs them more money. So they charge you to have access. And there's always going to be people who are willing to pay for that kind of vip experience and it's been i mean i've seen reports lately that somebody paid money for an after hours event and was disappointed that the lines were so long when and they said well last year it was you know we, we had 15 to 20 minute waits at the maximum and this year we were waiting for an hour for a ride and there's a let like, too many people in and so maybe they are uh maybe those are too popular or they haven't really gotten the price point right, but, you know, but then at the same time, like maybe the week before, somebody pops online and says, well, we had 20-minute waits the week before, so that mm-hmm. one wasn't as crowded.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, that sometimes it's just a crapshoot about, you know, how a particular, you know, the, the dynamic of a particular night works. I mean, if an attraction, you know, if one attraction goes down for a little while, and they don't have all the attractions open anyway, that can have a major ripple effect you know, down the line. But um, I, I mean, the point is well taken. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head in a lot of ways is that this has been sort of the response. And I, I think I would agree that this is probably a good middle ground of, you know, we're not getting a pay to play fast pass system. What we're getting is everybody still gets the same access during regular park hours, but we're going to give people the ability to, to sort of you know, buy better access in times that don't impact other guests' experience. And uh, to me, that's a better alternative, frankly, than a than a pay-to-play FastPass system, um, because, again, it, it democratizes the experience most of the time, and then if you want a different experience and are willing to pay for it, they'll make it available to you at a time that doesn't impact other guests' experience, at least not in a significant way. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, the, the concept isn't entirely new. We, there were parties, you know, when we started, they've just, there are more of these kinds of events that have cropped up and uh, they've delivered some different kinds of experiences too over time. I mean, y'all remember the, the debacle of the villains party at Hollywood studios a couple of years ago that didn't work at all. There, there's a reason that one didn't come back. Um, but, uh, you know, these these after-hours events they're doing now have included food. They've included, you know, the, it's a lot of different things that um, sort of make them substantively different from the Mickey's Not-So-Scary and, and Very Merry Christmas Party. In other words, I, I like that these things all have their own identities, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's kind of cool how, how that is because changes your experience, too. Right, you can oh, then, and, and one trip you could do that, and you know next trip saying, oh, okay, we did that last time, now we don't need to do it, but it was pretty cool, you know, so it it changes things up a little bit,
0: right, right, and and it means that you know next time maybe you try one in a different park and and you see what that experience was like, um, all right, well, you know, we've talked about those differences, there's also been differences in accommodations um over the last. Eight nine years here, uh, we've got a number of resorts that either didn't exist uh, or, due to renovation, are really almost completely different resorts now. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, James, what's what's a, a major resort change that you think has had a, a big impact?
3: Well, I think um, I think the Art of Animation opening. Um, was was pretty big because I think a, a big complaint or a big driver of people to stay off site was not having rooms that were large enough um, yet kind of affordable for to fit like a larger family, like something over a family of four. Right. So anybody like in the fire. so, the suites. Um. It 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 added a, lot, a large number of suites to the property, and it you know been but it was and like while it's not a value. Um, you know, it wasn't a deluxe. So it gave, uh, I think I gave a lot of people a lot of options. And then you you found that shortly thereafter, the DVC went through this whole renovation where they added a fifth bed to a lot of rooms.
0: Yeah, and and the DVC rooms, you now have this weird sort of uh, uh, inversion in some ways where there are a bunch of of DVC um, studios that'll accommodate five in resorts where the one bedroom will only accommodate four.
3: Yeah, it's weird, but it, but it gets. <laughs> I think a lot of people were looking for that kind of space where they could, you know, have the fifth person in there. Right. So I think it made sense.
0: Oh, I, I don't disagree. I just think it's an interesting side effect. Eric, how about you? Any things that you noticed in in the on the resort front? Major changes that have affected people's resort choices.
2: There are roughly 12 million more DVC rooms now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, since we were just talking about DVC,
2: but right, I right. mean, you've got a grand Floridian, the poly, uh, Bay Lake tower opened just before the podcast started, I think. But, uh, uh, yeah, got, right
0: as we were getting started.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Copper Creek at wilderness lodge, which builds out another resort that already had DVC rooms. Um, yeah. So it's like, um, just, a, a real explosion of these rooms. And, in some cases, they took away rooms that were for before then. Guess who were paying cash? So my favorite rooms at the Poly got converted into, into DVC rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's true. So um, in the there were the ones that were, were built out later and had had larger rooms. Actually, are now at DVC. So they're kind of off the market generally for folks who are paying with cash. But uh, it does open up um, staying in one in a couple of months so uh that does present you know even more dbc opportunities for folks sure who, who do own so um it it gives you and hopefully will kind of spread around the ability to stay at these dbc resorts uh to folks because it was for a while it was getting a little tough to to squeeze in places that weren't saratoga springs <laughs>
0: Right, how about you, Don? What are some changes in the resorts that you've noticed?
2: Um, we generally don't,
1: uh, other than the the big increase in the costs of them. Um, we because it's only three of us, right? Don't you know? We generally don't. We stay in the cheapest rooms we can, so that hasn't impacted us as much. Um, you know. Um, it's not um, – that's not a priority to us. You know, we we go there to go to the parks.
0: Well, but, so, but I will say this. I mean, even for somebody in your situation, I mean, there there have been – the All-Stars are lagging a little behind. I mean, they're, they're still oh, yeah. in process. But, um, you know, Pop Century got a top-to-bottom refurbishment, and all of those rooms that used to have double beds now have queen beds. So that's a major upgrade for for people. I mean, you know, it, it basically put Pop Century back on the list of possibilities for my family, where we had taken it off the right. list for a while because with teenage kids, you know, full size beds just weren't going to cut it nah. um, for the four of us. But right. but queen size will work. Um, and I, I think the other is, and somewhat related to you know what James was saying earlier. Um, the addition of of that fold down fifth bed at both, um, Port Orleans Riverside and at uh, uh, Caribbean Beach Resort um, has has made those moderate resorts options for families of of five, um, right, and even uh, you know maybe a little more subtle and and. This might not be something that everybody knows, but um, there was a policy change, oh gosh, just maybe in the last two or three years. And um, if you've got a family of five with you know three young kids and you want to stay in a value resort that only will accommodate four, that's the one situation where Disney will actually allow you to book a guaranteed connecting room. You have to call that in, you can't do it online, but um you know you you call it in, you explain the situation they they will only do it when you have children that are you know under the age of eighteen and you have more children than adults, right so you can't if you have a third adult with you, they won't let you do it um and if if it's five people and and three of them are adults and two are kids, they won't let you do it but um if you have five people or even six and you've got more children than, than adults. Um, they'll actually allow you now to book two value resort rooms and guarantee that you'll have connecting rooms. Okay. Um, and I think those are pretty, pretty significant changes that, open up options for larger families that just didn't exist. I mean, those folks had no choice before except to look at, and between that and and the addition of family suites at, at art of animation, you know, those, those are all folks who had no option other than a multi-room suite at a, a, you know, a deluxe suite property or staying off property.
1: Right. And that's probably what, what drove it is a lot of people going off property.
0: Oh uh, of that. That, no question that's what drove it. But but it's interesting how far they've come on that in a relatively short amount of time. Um Alright, so we've talked about that. Oh, uh, transportation, you know? I mean, that's an interesting thing. I, I hadn't really thought about it until we got into this discussion about the resorts, and it got me thinking, you know, e- even the way you get around at Walt Disney World seems to me has has been changing and is uh, about to change even more, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Between uh, Skyways and then, obviously, already with the, the mini uh, Uber thing but, you know but right, it's been around a little bit but that's certainly changed how you get around you know uh made things uh a little more convenient i don't know I mean, i'm sure we've talked about it but the uh, what the cost is on those
0: on on which on the minivans
1: on the minivans
0: um, it, it just went up not too long ago. I want to say, uh, James, have you used them recently? I know you've used them in the past.
1: No,
2: actually, I haven't. Oh, you didn't use okay. the minivan yet. No.
0: Oh, I thought you had. How about you, Eric? Have you used them?
2: Yeah, I did with a couple friends back last September. Uh, it was really great. It was very handy, but yeah, I've found that the, uh, uh that was, that was great. It's a little higher price than, uh, just getting a, a, a regular lift to come pick you up. But I definitely use those.
0: Yeah. I mean generally they're in the in the neighborhood of I was just looking here. Um, and uh, the service is, is $25 per trip per vehicle. Um the biggest advantage of them, you know, even though they're priced a little higher than than an equivalent Uber or Lyft, is number one, that the drivers are all disney employees right they're not just bob who drives his car on the weekends taking people around um they're disney cast members and uh they're trained to install child safety seats so you know you don't have to worry about your kids being strapped into a seat by somebody who doesn't know what they're doing um you're going to get somebody who's who's very well trained to put those seats in and they will guarantee that they have the seats you need with them as opposed to your uber or Lyft driver who might show up and say what you need two child seats i only have one yep It's like mm, which child do we risk today <laughs> so yeah i mean i think it seems to me that the biggest thing that's going on here is that that between this and, and um, parking fees at the resorts, um, you know, the biggest thing here is that Disney is doing everything they can to try and reduce the number of individual private cars are driving around on their roads.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And yeah that's,
1: that's a detriment to us because <laughs> we always rent. So it's uh.
0: Right. Well, yeah, and you're exactly the people that they want to deal with, right? They, right. they don't want you bringing, their, bringing that rental car into property. What the heck do you need a rental car for? They will take care of you door to door. Yeah. Lest yeah, you they're... be tempted to wander <laughs> off property.
3: <laughs> and, and they made a lot of improvements to the bus system. They invested right. a lot of money in that too.
0: Yeah. So talk about some of those improvements.
3: I mean, they they added you know new buses and more buses, and, and then like um, I think the biggest improvement was just um, decreasing the wait times and installing the all the uh, the boards with the tracking system, so you know when a bus is coming, so you're not standing there at a bus stop you know wondering when the next bus is going to come. So I think it just gives people more confidence to use the buses and leave their cars um, behind and and stay on property.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that. Information has been the biggest change. And and I don't know, I think they still have some dispatch issues. You know, they still don't quite have that down, um, but it's gotten better. And I think it it will continue to improve. Some of it is just, you know, you can't really predict what the impact of, you know, a crane needing to back into the road (laughs) somewhere you know and there's so much construction happening around in some places but they're finally getting some of that taken care of i mean if you th- if we're talking about transportation let's remember that they're opening uh, gosh it may have just opened or is about to open a whole new like way to enter magic kingdom right there's no not going to be any more of this crazy you know nine lanes and three of them will take you over to the magic kingdom area resorts with people getting stuck in the wrong lanes and having to drive around that circle. I don't know if any of you got caught in that, but I've gotten caught in that before. Um, and they've changed the entry point for Hollywood Studios as well. So they've really, it's, it's more than just more buses and adding Skyliners. They, they are physically redesigning access to various locations around property to reduce the congestion.
1: Well, look at what they've done with Disney Springs as well. That that, that whole thing has really changed.
0: Yeah, I mean, frankly, you know, we we referenced it when we talked about dining, but it's not just dining that has caused changes, you know, because of Disney Springs. I mean, Disney Springs has been about – I mean, it's a, it's a totally different thing. Downtown Disney was a place where we went if we had to, right? I mean, if we didn't have tickets and, and we needed to get something to eat or something like that, it was never a planned part of our, of our trip. Whereas now there's enough going on there that you feel like you want to include some time in Disney Springs.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, you know, uh, although way back when with Pleasure Island, that was cool to go to
0: okay, but that night. was before we started i mean by the time right. we started,
1: <laughs> right yeah no you're right you're right exactly i'm just you know it, it it went from one thing down to the you know now it's back to an actual destination you know so
0: yeah exactly uh, yeah it's, it's done a full 360 by now
2: uh, we're talking about uh buses i i feel like i'm not sure when exactly this kicked in but i seem to recall that buses not going park-to-park park, right? Uh, before the past couple of years, maybe? Even yeah, it is very recent. more recent than that.
0: Yeah. it's yeah. within the last couple of years, the only place you used to be able to go kind of park-to-park park regularly by bus was that you could leverage the fact that you had Ticket and Transportation Center there, next to magic kingdom right and they were always dispatching buses everywhere from the ttc right but other than that it was it was difficult very difficult to get park to park um and i guess maybe it seems to me to be a little bit ironic that they've made it easier to travel from park to park at the same time that they've perhaps complicated the whole system of getting fast passes in more than one park per day
2: <laughs> yeah i mean it does it does help you hop but uh, like you said, by the time you get to the the next park, you may be out of luck for riding rides. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, look, fast passes aren't the only way to get on attractions. Right. The the, the standby lines still work for most attractions, but um, you know that that does seem to be the one that drives people a little batty. Is that that difficulty in getting? Fast passes for a park that you want to visit in the afternoon. Um, all right, well let's let's try and and kind of take a step back and think if there are any major changes over the last you know eleven or I'm sorry last nine years or so that we've overlooked so far that we haven't talked about. We talked about dining, we talked about resorts, we talked about uh, the way tickets work, um, and anything else big that we're missing. We haven't talked about the fact that you can you know, get your your beer at lunch at uh, Magic Kingdom now.
1: Yeah. Or uh, <sighs> the couple new
0: lands coming or, well, land. Already come, right? I mean, the, we, do, yeah, we one, have had some major that we haven't talked about at all yet, right?
1: Yeah. Pandora, World of Avatar, which has totally changed uh, Animal Kingdom um, as far as how people visit it. Right. Uh, and not to mention that it's now Animal Kingdom has limited evening hours. You know, uh, it's still not as late as some of the other parks, but it still has later hours with a nighttime show, so to speak.
0: Right. right. So, well, yeah, I mean, that's uh, most of the time it's open as late as most other parks are open. I mean, it's open on a regular basis until nine o'clock these days. Um, which is as late as most of the parks are open. Um, we've also had uh, expansions. We've had at least some significant expansion in every park at this point since we started. Um, you know, Avatar was the one it was announced uh, almost a year after the podcast started. But uh, before that one, even as the podcast was starting, that was right when the new fantasy land expansion was announced. So all of that, you know Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, um Enchanted Tales with Belle, the Double Dumbo, all of that happened after the, the podcast started. So we had that major expansion in the Magic Kingdom, uh, Avatar added in Animal Kingdom. Um James, what what other additions have we had?
3: Oh yeah, it's had Toy Story Land and uh, Hollywood Studios. Um got yeah, Gow's okay. Edge. Uh- um, that is just about to open. I think when <laughs> we're airing this, yes,
0: yes, yes, um, yes.
3: to the public. Um, also, there, I think I think Epcot's the only one that hasn't had an expansion, but they have had. They did have a major addition when they changed Maelstrom to Frozen. Right. right. You can call that. Oh, that was almost an ex- kind of like an expansion.
0: Well, I mean, they did add the dedicated meet and greet, um, which is an an expansion. It's something new that didn't exist before. Um,
1: uh, added another theater, Soren.
0: That's right. Soren got an additional theater. That's true. Um, you know, the, the, we had the Tron. The the what what do we call it? The um, uh, Tronification of Test Track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, to mixed reviews, but it it was a significant change. Yes. Um, I think we had a. You know, during the the time that the show's been on, we've had a proliferation of of lounges around World Joe right? La Cava opened a little bit before we started the show, but not a whole lot before. And then uh, we had additional sort of lounge locations added in uh, other countries and other places, um, Tutto Gusto in Italy, most notably. Yeah,
1: right. That's what I was going to say.
0: Um, so yeah. yeah, so lots of new attractions have opened, um, and some have closed, some things have changed. Um, some things, you know, there's a lot of stuff sort of in progress still, which we talked about on other shows recently, but you know, all of this comes together. And I think that what's interesting is it's like the more things change, the more they stay the same, because we, as we started out the show, we said, you know, all these things have changed over the nine years that we've been doing the show. But when it comes right down to it, Eric, you said you plan your trips the same way you planned them. Ten years ago, yes, I do. (laughs) And really, no major changes for you, James.
3: Um, Planning wise, no, not so much. It's still, you know, we we still always wish we had more time. (laughs) Always, Always, but um, yeah, but we're yeah, we're still, you know, getting our weekend and you know one park, you know, per day, uh, getting a getting a. Day off in the middle to break it up to enjoy the resort or to go to Disney Springs. And I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think there's, I feel like there's more to do, but I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're guys who go more often than, I guess, your average Disney. Guest, so it's you know it's we have a different mindset. It's like we know we go and we and if we miss something, the line's too long for one attraction. We don't get on it. You know we'll 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 prioritize that next time. Yeah,
1: that's yeah, that's, that's exactly, exactly. What I was gonna say. Is we we travel there so much differently now. It's such a different pace because we know we're gonna be back at some point. So it's not critical that we get on everything or you know we take a little more time to enjoy some of the shows or uh, some of the other um, off the off the beaten track things Um, because if a ride's too long, well, we'll just get it the next time we go, you know? So that that's, but that hasn't changed because of this. It's changed because of our experience, you know, we don't need to, hurry, hurry, rush, rush. We don't need to feel like we got to squeeze everything in because we know we'll end up being back.
0: Yeah, well, and I, I mean, I think it, it's true, too, that... I mean, it was true then, but it's maybe even more true now that we realize that nobody does everything in one trip at Walt Disney World. It doesn't matter how long. I mean, we talk to our friends from Great Britain who come over here and and spend, you know... 10 to 14 days at Walt Disney world and they don't do everything either. There's always something that you don't get to for one reason or another. And I think that's what continues to make it a compelling destination for all of us, or at least a big part of it is that there's always something else. There's always something new. There's always something that's being done differently. There's always another new experience, no matter how many times you've been. Exactly. All right. So, um, I guess we pretty much covered the field, so um, maybe we go around one last time, and what I'm going to do is ask each of you to identify uh, both ends of the spectrum, right? Your favorite thing that's changed at Walt Disney World in the last nine years, and your least favorite, because, you know, we don't love every change. So, um, you know, James, you get to go first. What do you like the most? Favorite change and least favorite change?
3: Oh, man, put me on the spot. Um, yes. Wow. Uh, let's see. I'm not sure. Um, all right, you're going to have to like edit out this long pause. <laughs> <laughs> My most favorite change... I think... I think for me it's been... The uh, the added value events, the like the expansion of the festivals, and the opportunities to do something at different times of the year. I think for us, um, you know, like our our traveling, you know, because Lisa's a teacher, we were kind of stuck in these um, certain certain holidays or the summer. And I think we've had more opportunities um, to enjoy some of these value-added events, you know, that weren't Mickey's Not-So-Scary or Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party because they've been expanded. Like, now we go in the summer, we, we can do Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party without, you know, going in the middle of the school year.
0: Right, right, because you can do the Villains After Hours event.
3: Or, or actually, like, you know, when we go um, this summer, Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, the first one is during our trip.
0: Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so we
3: actually get to go dress up for Halloween and trick-or-treat in, in, in August. Right, right. You know like, so like the the fact that they've expanded those, and I think with you know like the um the Festival of the arts bridges the gap now between food and wine and um flower and garden festival. So you know if so for people who miss one of those, maybe, like, and I, I actually think Festival of the Arts is maybe the best one. I, so I just enjoy that one immensely, like that's you, know, you know, the times that we've gotten to to go down there and and see that in February. Sure. Um, and so I think those extra value, those value added events, um, you know, like we haven't taken advantage of all of them, but like, you know, I think that's another plus for that is that it gives us something to look forward to. Like maybe next trip we'll do one of the other ones. Right. Um, so that, so those, that that's probably my, my favorite change, um, least favorite. Um, wow. Least favorite. I mean, I, I think there's always, you know, like whenever I see something, Clothes that I enjoyed. I, I don't like, you know. I don't think anybody likes change in that in that respect. So, so seeing some things. I mean, there's been a lot of new attractions, but a lot we've also said goodbye to a lot. So that's been a little tough.
0: But so, which you know, which attraction do you miss the most?
3: Um, you know, I I I want to say I've been okay with 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 most of them going away because I knew that something good was coming, but. Um, and I said this about the great movie ride, but more like as we get closer and closer to the runaway railway coming, it's just that ride holds so many memories,
0: Yeah.
3: um, you know, from just, you know, from being, from going as a, you know, as a kid with my family to bringing my kids there. And it was one of those attractions that we always did. And and it was like, I have this one memory of my mother-in-law being on that attraction. And like, she was like having a miserable time, <laughs> <laughs> you know, being dragged around in the heat and, you know, dealing with all sorts of issues. And, you know, she, I don't think she was you know particularly happy um, to be with us on vacation, but, but that, you know, like she's sitting on that ride and the music started up and she was singing along and, and dancing and, and, and she loved it. And it was just like, you know, that was like, to me, that kind of summed up, know what Disney's all about like there's something for everybody there and so so I'll miss that
0: right all right that's good um so same question Don favorite change least favorite change
1: um favorite change would be uh Pandora um I I didn't think I would ever get into that I mean I always kind of knew you know because Disney was doing it it would be pretty good um but never really saw the movie um we watched the movie before we went so we kind of had a feel for it and once we got there and experienced it that was really a you know it's it's really pushed up um uh, become one of our you know top top places to go okay. um so i would say that would be the favorite change the least favorite change would be, and this is kind of, I don't know, um, it does seem like there's a lot of uh, money grabs, shall we say. You know, uh, and, and some of it you understand. You know, uh, I uh I get that there's going to be things, but now it's just like, you know, added fees for parking, The added fees for, you know, all, all different little things. It's, you know, that gets annoying, but it, it doesn't deter us, but, you know, that, that's just uh, the rest of it, you know, changes, you know, I don't mind them as much. You know, there's, yeah, you miss some of the stuff, but once you see some of the new stuff coming on, it's, it's like, okay, um, <laughs> that was, I'll miss that, but that's going to be really cool, you know, right, so... Right. That would be my
2: summation, shall we say.
0: All right. Uh, How about you, Eric? Favorite and least favorite?
2: For the favorite, I'm kind of torn between... I agree that Pandora was fantastic, but just the overall expansion in in Animal Kingdom uh, to add a lot of uh, more stuff geared toward folks who are there in the evening. So the Rivers of Light show, the Nighttime Safari... Um, even the just the the theming in Pandora at night with all the uh, I won't say bioluminescent because uh, (laughs) it's 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 not bio but uh, but yeah that's just an incredible expansion I think and I think they did it uh, very well to not kind of overwhelm everything else in the park um, by other one would, would have been just the expansion of, of dining options, um, especially the the really good ones over at Disney Springs.
0: Right, and least and, favorite.
2: Uh, least favorite, I think, is the reduction in the value proposition of the Run Disney races. Um, you're getting uh, a, they're more expensive. You're getting fewer characters out on the course. Um, There's they're maintaining the level of you know, support and infrastructure, but uh, it's it's losing some of the the stuff that makes the disney races special
0: okay okay i can understand that well i think for me the the biggest thing you know the biggest positive is i, I think the the expansion of sort of resort options right the the the, the number of of and variety of different room categories, different room types that make it easier to find the right fit for everybody. Um, I think that they accommodate more everybody's than they used to. Um, And so that has a a big impact for a lot of people in a lot of ways. Um, I think that for my least favorite of the things that have changed, I'm going to just say All right, the how to phrase this is the hard part. My least favorite change is the continuing deterioration of the Monorail system. Because that's you know that it's something that was happening 9 years ago, but the reality is that that they spent money on doing things on the Monorail system that had some impact on operations of it but didn't address the fundamental issues of running Monorail cars that are well past their expiration date. Um, and to me, that monorail is really sort of a, a signature of the Walt Disney world resort, right? I mean, it, it, if you show a picture of a moving monorail to people, they, you know, they instantly imprint with Walt Disney world, even though Disneyland had a monorail first, Walt Disney worlds, I think is the one that's really captured people's attention. And I mean, it's just crazy that, that. There are times where people can, you know, walk from one resort to another faster than the monorail can get there. Um, it, it just, it's crazy. I mean, you can, a lot of times people can walk from the contemporary to the Magic Kingdom faster than the monorail can get there. And there's no reason for it other than, you know, a decade plus of, yeah, you know, essentially benign neglect, but, I think that we're getting past the point where it can be called benign because it just, it continues to have these ongoing issues. Right. Um, that one drives me crazy. <laughs> uh, James, you were saying in the chat, you, you, there was one other issue that that really bothers you over the last nine years.
3: Oh yeah, I, was, I don't like that. It like the uh, the Disney merchandise is just, it seems to have gotten to be like the same everywhere you go. It's like all the same generic merchandise. It used to be like you know, unless my memory is just you know changing things. Well, to, to I, idealize I think it's gone
1: it. through a couple phases. I think it used to be really all boring throughout, and then for a while they were getting into diversity and specialization for different areas. And now they've seemed to got back to let's just make it the same everywhere. Kind of lazy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's just a pendulum that we keep getting swings back and forth on in terms of merchandise. And I have to think that over the longer term, the the merchandise issue is going to get better just because the guy that's kind of you know running the show for parks and resorts now is a merchandise guy. That's his background. Uh, so you would, you would think that the situation would get better. Um, I do think that some of it is a function of just, you know, there's so many major store renovations going on around the property that it, it, it's, you know, it's difficult to distribute properly the stuff that's, store specific so and maybe i'm being a little pollyannish about it but it seems to me maybe they're just kind of holding back a little bit um until their their you know end of their distribution channel is cleaned up a bit
1: could be maybe
0: (laughs) all right uh well you know you've heard us rambling on for about an hour here about uh our perspective on changes uh, in our Walt Disney World vacation habits uh, over the last nine years we'd love to hear from you and hear what you think about these changes um, let us know you can uh, email us at podcast at disdads.com. you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash disdads podcast there's a podcast fan group there now ava- uh, available as well we'd love for you to join the group and uh, let us know in the group what you think um, in addition to all of those things we've been away for a while we're just now getting back and getting back into the swing of things one of the things that happens when you're away for a year is that people forget you're there um, it would be a big help to us if you could take a minute and review the show and um, recommend it to other folks you can do that at uh uh apple podcasts you can do that on google play uh, wherever it is that you li- get your your show to listen to um you know, let people know about the show and uh, that we're still here, still kicking and publishing new content again. Uh, until next time, I've been Aaron Rittmaster with Eric Anderson. Bye, folks. James Cameron. James
2: Cameron. So long,
1: everybody.
0: And Don Donfres.
1: Night, everybody.
0: Our outro music is Whiskey on the Mississippi by Kevin McLeod. Kevin makes his music available on his website in compatech.com and licenses it under the Creative Commons by attribution license. Here's your attribution, Kevin. Thanks for the song.